Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. NBC Sports, Football Morning and American columnist Peter King. What do you think about the Chase Thomas podcast? I'd like to plug the Chase Thomas podcast. Listen to Chase Thomas. You'll be a smarter sports fan and obviously a much better human being. Matt Chernoff from 680 The Fans, Chuck and Chernoff Show here. And I want to say thanks for listening to today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast apps. Chase Thomas went to Parkview in North Georgia. He's a local Atlanta kid, and he won't let the Luca versus Trey thing go. He interned with us back in the day, and you'll always remember him. Anyway, definitely go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can find all of Chase's previous episodes, all of his articles, and do him a solid. Leave him a rating and review if you're an Apple Podcast listener. Reminder to listen to our show, Chuck and Chernoff, Monday through Friday, 3 to 7 on 680 The Fan, and subscribe to my podcast as well. Welcome to Matlana, wherever you get your podcasts. Chase Thomas Podcast. The Chase Thomas Podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee, everything school HQ, still everything school HQ as much as the the haters and losers would uh, prefer that not to be the case. Tennessee prevails once again on Saturday afternoon, where a certain member of this very show went out of his way to hurt his own pick'em late in the week after the show had concluded he just couldn't sit with uh picking the vols at home uh against the texas a&m aggies on saturday afternoon went against his own pick and changed it folks so he takes another l on this very show because he just he hates tennessee and everything school hq that much he uh he went against the vols on eric berry day no less and that person fellow university of north georgia alumni matt green is here matt good evening sir how are you Good evening, sir. It is uh, it is good to be back. But yeah, I uh, the more I, I started thinking about it, you know, I, I recall you changing your pick on Missouri Kentucky uh, on mm. the pod. Uh, you know, you still did it while we were on the pod. But um, no, after we got done talking, like, and I kind of gave my assessment, and then I'm, after I made my pick, you're like Tennessee doesn't win a game like that. That's in the 20s or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I was like, honestly, now I'm thinking about it. I feel like Milrow is like a better player than Milton. Like they gave they gave Alabama so many problems, whatever, with the D line. And I'm like, you know, I think AM's gonna win this game. So it's like I had to I had to be on my on the record. I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna change my pick. I I, I gotta own it. You know, I was I was incorrect. Tennessee mm. did get it done, but um, no thanks to Joe Milton. Definitely no thanks to Joe Milton on uh, Saturday afternoon. Um, but we'll get into that, Matt Green. Your team also. Uh, we joke they just don't give up uh, points to uh, Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt not scoring any offensive points in five years. And uh, hey, uh, who knew that the, a little bit of construction could throw the Georgia Bulldogs off uh, in Nashville? Maybe that's the key. Start putting like plants and issues around the stadium to really get Georgia out of sync. Have some construction going on. Have some, uh, have some just uh, little things that uh, gets this this defend two time defending national champion. Uh, Georgia Bulldogs thrown off. Whatever that means, you got to do something. And shout out to Vanderbilt for uh, finding innovative ways to throw this team off. Kilter. 
And as far as Vanderbilt goes, there's definitely less Georgia fans in the crowd uh, on mm. Saturday than there are at a typical Georgia Vandy game. Um, but no, it was a uh, it was a really weird game. I felt like because the scoreboard kind of tells you that Georgia didn't dominate, but like the stats tell you that Georgia dominated. Like it's a it was a really like you look at they uh, gave up the early touchdown to Vanderbilt, obviously the first one since 2018, but. Um, then Georgia fumbles on the opening possession. And then uh, seven of the nine possessions in the game, Georgia s- scored points. Like they, it was either a touchdown or a field goal. Unfortunately, it was more field goals. It was four touchdowns and three field goals. And I think that's what kind of kept it kept it close. But um, yeah, it was it was a weird game because you look at the last so the last three years, uh, 2019, 2020, uh, one in 2022 the last three times they played Vanderbilt because they didn't play that 2020 game we all know about that um, <laughs> the last three times George has played Vanderbilt and they haven't given up a touchdown in those games they averaged 531 yards offensively give they averaged giving up 150 yards to Vanderbilt and they averaged giving up 71 yards on the ground on Saturday they had 552 yards, gave up 219 yards total and they had 18 rushing yards. So that that pick the almost pick 6 there at the end which shout out to Carson Beck for for getting the tackle. Bro, I would just let him score on that. Like that's I don't want my quarterback getting hurt just making a tackle like a flying shoulder. Like shout out to the effort, but um uh, it was a it was a risky play for sure, but that's basically a pick six uh, on the on the def- or on the offense. So this defense gave up 14 points, you know, on Saturday essentially. So it's a little weird because it got close there for a second, but you know, 37-20, it probably should have been better. But I would say for what we thought about Georgia coming in, you obviously want to see a 50 to shoot 50 to zero, honestly, with what the Vanderbilt game is, but. You know, I think it was still, you know, a game they were up 27-7 going into the fourth quarter. It was just kind of a, you know, got got a little weird at the end, but Georgia still still won easily. But would you call it struggling? If someone from the outside looking in, would you call this a struggle win for Georgia? Did it look like a, did it look close to what Auburn looked like for Georgia? No, not at all. See, and that's where I guess I feel like if you if you say that Georgia struggled, I think you didn't watch the game. You just mm. saw the scoreboard and you're like, oh, this ga- scoreboard's closer than I thought. But it's like this was 24-7 at half. Georgia had like a 20-play drive to open up the, the third quarter that it just ended up in a field goal that was like they had the ball for like eight and a half minutes or something. Like, like both teams only had one possession in the, in the third quarter. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was like 27-7 going into the fourth and then – you know, Vanderbilt got got the pick there. They scored a touchdown. Uh, they, they got that pick, almost pick six. So, and then Georgia answered and, and tacked on another seven. Uh, Dejon Edwards had like 150 yards in this game. Brock Bowers, I guess that's what we haven't talked about. That's the big story from this game, honestly, is Brock Bowers getting hurt and leaving in like the second quarter. Like, this man was has been Georgia's offense through, through six games. Well, did games, you see Graham so. Coffey, friend of the pods, update on Brock Bowers tonight? I don't think I have. You're not going to like this, Matt Green. 12 minutes ago on Twitter, sources have told Dog Central that a doctor recommended tightrope surgery to Brock Mm. Bowers, and he will seek a second opinion before deciding a course of action on Tuesday. Yeah, and see, that's big. Like, Brock Bowers is clearly the best player on this offense. So I think this team, you know, I think they can beat, you know, Florida without Mm. Brock Bowers. Like, but, you know... You know, as much as I might disrespect someone like Missouri being on Georgia's level, like they should still be able to beat a team like Missouri with without Brock Bowers. But I think it gets a little uh, hairy there without playing without your uh, your best player and maybe the best player in college football. So, George, as good as Georgia's tight end recruiting and everything has been in recent years, this is a shallow position. And Oscar Delp is you know he's big time recruit and he's he's looked good uh, playing in that as that second tight end, but you know. To be starting without Bowers, that's a whole other issue, a whole whole other level of expectation. And 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 Georgia likes to play multiple tight ends. And you know maybe it's lost and lucky. And he he has played a little bit now after missing the first several games with an injury. But after after Delp, there's there's not much experience at all uh, at, at Georgia's tight end position. So 
That, I mean, uh, if it's tightrope surgery, he's not right for the next, the rest of the year because he'll probably come back with something like that. I mean, Cedric Tillman I don't uh, got it last about. year. So this is what Cedric Tillman got last year. And he was never, even when he came back, like it shortens your time back, but it's just not the same dude. It's just impossible to get 100% right uh, through the course of the year. And I mean, I understand he's a physical freak, but I don't know, man, like that. And it was such a weird play, too, that he got injured on uh, out of bounds where it didn't look like it was going to be nearly like, as bad. Yeah, nothing. Yeah. And then he's hobbling and all that. But I don't know. I mean, uh, the final takeaway for you, what uh, what did Georgia do differently this week that they haven't uh, or what were they better at? What were they worse at in this Vanderbilt game that kind of stood out to you that uh, you had not seen through uh, seven weeks? I would say we've seen George get off to some slow starts, but um, you know, it, it was really the the blown coverage on that like what 50-yard touchdown like in the first quarter. It's like after that, Vanderbilt really didn't do much until the fourth quarter. So, there's a lot of talk about the defense like, you know, not looking the same, and you know, they're not the same. They had they had four first round picks on the defensive line in 2021. Like in, in the best of them, Jalen Carter was still on the team in 2022. So it's like, they don't have those same, you know, just monster first round picks on the defensive line right now, but they're still a really good team. They gave up 18 yards rushing. So it's like, I, um, I don't think it was much different. Maybe, maybe not uh, getting enough touchdowns when they got into the red zone, settling for a few field goals. But, um, I thought ultimately it was just, um, it was it's kind of the same thing we've seen. Um, it, the Kentucky game is really the only game you feel like Georgia's truly played to their potential. So, you know, it feels like it, this game wasn't close, but it, it still feels like uh, Georgia kind of left you wanting more. But they're kind of they're judging a different standard than everybody else. Right. They're just when you're when you're saying is they are they truly the number one team in the country, you're kind of nitpicking a little bit more than than you would another program but, or another team. but. I mean, at the end of the day, they've looked uh, they've looked, you know, mortal at times. So a, a, a better opponent might could uh, could take advantage of it. I've never been more certain an SEC team's not winning the national title than this year. Like all across the board. I just there's no one in this conference that can win a national title. It's I, I just don't think it's going to happen. And the Bowers injury is brutal. But I just I think you're going to get two Big Ten teams in the playoff, and I think it's going to be one of the two Big Ten teams that end up with the title. I don't know. I haven't decided on who of those three. We're going to we'll have a big that. game on Saturday, but I just I think the SEC does not have a complete enough team to win to run the gauntlet of winning the SEC title than beating two Big Ten teams in the playoff. I don't see it this year. See, that's where I disagree because it's like Georgia doesn't have to be as good as 2021 Georgia or 2022 Georgia. It's like they could they could theoretically be worse and still be the best team in college football in 2023. Like the, the, big, the big Ten champion, like as good as the Big Ten has been, like they haven't exactly been winning a lot of playoff games. So I feel like we kind of know how good the Big Ten champion is going to be like coming out every year and you know it's going to be one of the best teams in college football but you just look around like florida state you know texas oklahoma like there's there's just a there's a lot more parity in college football i think right now and I, i'm not sure which of the big 10 teams penn state ohio state or michigan is is that juggernaut but it's i think on a neutral field i i still don't see anything that makes those teams clearly better than georgia like I you just know, don't think you have the horses. I don't isn't... think you can beat Michigan and Penn State or Ohio State back to back, and also beat LSU well, with, in the SEC title game. Obviously, Brock Bowers' injury news like that that yeah. changes everything. But I think, assuming Georgia is at full strength, I don't I don't think there's, I, I really don't think there's a team that's shown that they're clearly better than Georgia at this point. It's tough to, to it's tough to tell with a with a the competition they've played. But I mean, they're one. They're the only team in college football that has a is top ten in total offense and total defense. There's there's four teams. I think it's Oklahoma, Penn State, and Michigan that are top ten in the country in scoring offense and scoring defense. But Georgia's the only one that's up there in total offense and total defense. Like I think we're just judging Georgia's defense based on what they were the past two years, which was just incredible talent. But I think there's still a really good defense, and I think this offense is is just as dangerous. I think Kendall Milton, I think, may have gotten hurt again on Friday, on Saturday, and I think he actually looked good at times against Vanderbilt. So you basically the running the the running back situation is still something to look out for. But Dejon Edwards looked good. 
he's um, yeah. established himself. I think you're okay. As long as Dejan's yeah. healthy, I think that's the main thing. Is he's really solidified himself as the the go-to do it all back for y'all. For sure, but you just being a Georgia fan, you just they basically always have multiple guys that you feel yeah. good about and you don't necessarily think that right now, but yeah. Let's hope uh for better news for Brock Bowers, but that's uh that's the ultimate equalizer that I think you know, if this team's without their best player offensively, it's that's going to be a challenge for sure. Especially going to Neyland next month. Like, that's a totally different game if uh, Brock Bowers is not available on the road for Georgia in a raucous environment with what we've seen from this Tennessee defense, Matt Green, which leads us to those volunteers. We have our Jalen Carter, Matt Green, and it's in the form of James nobody, Pierce. Nobody has a Jalen Carter. Let's just take it easy. Hold on. He leads the country in pressure rate. Um, James Pierce is an absolute dude. Um, it was my preseason pick where I, he was my preseason breakout pick. He was a four star for every site except for one who had him as a five star. I think it was maybe been on three. Um, I don't remember who it was that had him as five. North Carolina kid, all the talent in the world, and uh, true sophomore, and has completely broken out. Like he made Max Johnson's life a living hell, and he's just getting home over and over and over again. And Tennessee did not have Omar Norman Lott in this game. Uh, he was banged up from uh, two weeks ago, so he didn't go, and he's their best interior defensive lineman with uh, Amari Thomas. You wondered how that was going to go for Texas a Tyler Barron, also awesome, but Tennessee's front seven um, dominated Texas a ms front, and Max Johnson was spooked. Max Johnson had a lot of problems getting the ball out quickly. Tennessee didn't give up the big plays. They didn't give up the big runs. The defense has made the jump. Like As a whole, the defense is just very physical, they have come a long way in the last three years, and it starts up front, but I can't say enough positive things about Tennessee showing that they can win differently. I mean, that was the biggest takeaway is that, like we talked about on the show, Heupel has not won a game when he had scored less than 30, and my biggest worry was, like, I didn't see a path to 30, so it was like we were both right, and your instinct, we were like, I just don't see how Tennessee gets to 30. You're like, so I don't think Tennessee wins. That was my biggest hangup is, like, I just didn't see a path with how Joe Milton has played at this point. Texas A&M's uh, ability to stop the run, which also is the other part of it. Tennessee ran all over A&M. They, Jalen Wright went right at him and just, he was just established himself as the best running back in the league. Jalen Wright is an absolute dude. He is so good after contact. He just pushes guys around. He's so good after contact. You can't say enough great, great things about him. And, it's amazing they are winning in spite of quarterback play. Like they are winning in spite of Joe Milton, who had a horrific red zone interception in this game. He didn't have anything downfield once again. Um, really bad reads, really bad just all across the board. The only thing you can really speak to How that he didn't. How far can he throw it though? I mean, but that's the thing is like he's getting worse. And the thing about Joe. I mean, there's no trust in Joe Milton from the staff right now. Um, they are running the ball a bunch. And that's the part of it. It's like you feel so weird as a fan because you're five and one. And a lot of previous staffs over the last 15 years would have lost that game, a game like that for Tennessee. You win like D Williams, gigantic back to back special teams play where he pins Texas A&M up at the one. Um, and then he also has the punt return touchdown that puts Tennessee up and really kind of solidifies Tennessee winning this game. Jimbo got outcoached by Josh Heupel, who did not have a good day. Like Jimbo just like letting the clock run down and not doing anything in the second quarter. That was stupid. Um, a lot of weird calls from Jimbo Fisher in, uh, in this game and clock management issues. But I think by and large, Tennessee showed that they can win in different ways. And I also just, this is how they're going to keep playing. And this it's just so hard to see a team that we've seen the first two years and really just the hypo uh, experience at wherever he's gone, whether it's UCF, Missouri, whatever. It's the worst quarterback he's ever had. And this is the worst vertical passing attack in the sport. Like you're looking at um, teams that have 20 plus passing yards. Tennessee's like 126 or something through seven weeks. Like there, there's nothing downfield. Um, there's nothing that Tennessee is doing that would lead you to believe that the firepower downfield's coming anytime soon. So they're but the thing is, they're running the ball better than they've ever done. Like the the Joe Milton in the second half, the one positive is like he ran the ball well, like in the second half. He he did the dump stuff where he ran out of bounds in the short of the sticks in the first half where it was a free play. Either throw it up or get to the first down marker. That was just it, it it's just idiotic. Like it's just it, you it's you can't do that. Those are just things you cannot do, um, especially in year six as a college quarterback. But 
Um, it's just he ran the ball. He took out Texas A&M's best player. Like he ran him over, and he never went back in the game. Cooper and it just he if he's gonna do stuff like that, if he's gonna start doing some read option stuff, and he's gonna start using his body, he's built like a linebacker. He's gonna start taking those hits and just taking on um secondary guys in the second level then that opens things up a little bit more for tennessee because that's what hendon hooker did so well last year was when things weren't there he would take off and uh make something out of nothing and joe just hasn't done that to this point that was something that was encouraging but by and large i mean you have the worst quarterback outside of peyton thorne um in the conference and i think that's going to be the the thing that happened that goes the rest of the way and tennessee is just really tough to beat at home when Nealon's rocking. Their running game is top-notch in the conference, and their pass rush is top-notch in the conference. So I think they're going to be in every game. They're going to be close with Georgia, close with Bama, close with Mizzou. I just think it's going to be like pulling teeth on offense week in, week out, and the defense is going to have to really, really carry uh, this team going forward, which is just wild to me, Matt Green. Did you have the same takeaway? Yeah, because, I mean, I think you have to be encouraged, like you said, of being able to win differently. But if you told me that Tennessee was not going to score an offensive touchdowns for the last three quarters of this game, like I'm taking A&M every time. If you're telling mm. me Tennessee's getting 20 points, honestly, at home, I'm probably taking Texas A&M. If you, if you tell me that Joe Milton's going to be 11 for 22 for 100 yards, mm-hmm. like, yeah, Tennessee, Texas A&M's winning that game. So, I this is obviously a big win for Tennessee, but this is the first one that like this year for A and M that like I'm starting to I'm starting to to, to question Jimbo. You know what I mean? Mm. Like Max Johnson is obviously I think that that's kind of the scapegoat now this year is because you know he's got the starting quarterback got hurt again. You know, but like man, Max Johnson was bad on Saturday, and Tennessee played some great defense. Like don't get me wrong, but. This team is just like with what you have defensively, like being able to go into Knoxville and obviously Tennessee was able to run the ball, but like to to do what they did for four quarters, like that defense played well enough to to get a win on the road as far as I'm concerned. But your offense is only able to get 13 points. Like, I don't know if it's Jimbo. I don't know if it's Petrino, but um, I don't know. I think you just you have to start asking questions at some point. It's not easy to go into Knoxville. This team, you know, top twenty team in the country. They're five and one now, six and one, five and one. Um, but yes, yeah, I just I don't. I feel like it was a it's just a bad showing by by Jimbo Fisher. I mean, it was a bad showing, but it's also just like you saw the talent. I mean, A and M's got talent, and they got dudes, and they deserve a lot of credit for fighting the way they did. Um, in this game, but it's also like Tennessee had a bye and they had nothing for their passing game. They had two weeks to get right, even without Brew McCoy. And um AM really made life difficult for Tennessee in that respect. So they deserve credit there. And also, um, they didn't quit. They were right there uh in that game. Max Johnson, I just I, that was another part of it. Is like Connor Wegman, I wonder how he would have performed against this Tennessee secondary. Kamal Haddon's gotten a lot better. He was elite in this game. Um, but I don't know. I wonder what that would have looked like uh, with a more elite quarterback because Max Johnson was just overwhelmed. He felt very uh, in over his head in this kind of environment. He got hit a lot and he was seeing ghosts with James Pierce. But I mean, it he was not good uh, at all. And I just I wonder if Connor Wegman being in the fold changes things a little bit for them. Yeah, I'm sure it, it definitely impacts it. some. I, I'm sure he's got to be good for seven points, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but at, at some point, if you're a Tennessee fan, like, do you want to see Nico? Like, I know you're still winning games, but like, it feels like right now what Tennessee's doing with, with Joe Milton, the lack of production they're getting out of the passing game, it, it seems like it's worth a shot to like get Nico a series or something. You know what I mean? Like maybe not next week in Tuscaloosa, like Bryant Denny stadium. That might not be the, uh, the time to get your first uh real real life snaps but i don't know what you're seeing out of joe milton it's like there's got to be there's got to be better because it's not like he just he doesn't necessarily seem like the a a good game manager by any means like he's kind of making some bad mistakes at times like i don't know what are your thoughts it's like the whole what exactly do you do here uh conversation (laughs) and i mean look the problem is joe is super well liked in this locker room it's easier to make quarterback changes when you're losing. Tennessee's five yeah. and one. 
you can't just pull the guy going into Bama week because like after starting five and one, you just can't like everyone knows he's been bad. Like I'm, Joe knows he's been bad. Um, you listen to Heupel in the post game. Like the first thing he said, like the last, so he was his last question. He got asked in the post game presser was like, what basically did I do? Did you think that Milton did well? And I'm paraphrasing here, but like he paused and then he was like, it, he kept coming back in. He was like a competitor. Basically, it was like one of those where I was like, oh, man, like it, it was just one of those. Oh, man, you're really just trying to figure out one positive thing. It's like, well, he kept coming back. He's a competitor and he's fighting hard. Um, all right. Well, not great. Um, but I look at it. I am less about sneakers. Yeah, I let it's less about Nico and it's more like I understand with Nico being in the fold and with NIL there and it being his team and then Joe getting the transition from Hinden, like that being a big deal, that no transfer quarterbacks really were jumping at the chance for this. But I'm more annoyed that like the marriage that never was that I just will always go down convinced that would have been the perfect bridge situation with Spencer Sanders, who's not playing and went to Ole Miss where Jackson Dart beat him out. We've seen him play an elite level at Oklahoma State two years ago. Him in this offense, I just think would have been really fun for a one-year stopgap. And I just wish it was Spencer. Because I understand not wanting to throw a true freshman in um, into the fold if you can avoid it. Uh, if you're Tennessee, especially not at Bama or some of these big games coming up. But I think that's more of the issue is that this was their only choices. Was six-year Joe Milton or a true freshman in Nico Iamaliava. The fact that they were not able to get another transfer quarterback to want to compete um, for a year, which I understand. Like, that's a tough thing to get guys to be like, do I really have a real shot at this? Like, it's Joe Milton and Nico Iamaliava. Like, am I really going to get an opportunity? Uh, but, like, if you're Spencer Sanders, I looked at it as like, well, you're not playing anyway. And if are you, how big of a believer are you that Joe's going to be good uh, for the full year? And I... I was pretty dubious. So that's when I'm just like kind of bummed that we never got to see Spencer Sanders for a year in, in this offense. So I'm, just, I, I'm okay I'm with Nico not being the guy for a year. I'm just interested in like, what, what are, what's the, what are the message board conversations? Oh, everyone just, like Nico, like it's, it's because, not fun. Like, I just think about like 2018 Georgia with just with Jake Fromm as a sophomore and Justin Fields coming in. It's like Jake yeah. Fromm was actually really good that season. And people were yeah. like, we want to see Justin Fields. He's the shiny five star. Um, so I mean, I'm there's a lot of fans that want Nico. Bad, like it's and bad. If you're getting bad quarterback play, it would just be ramped up. Oh, for sure. But it's also like winning cures all. Like they're five and one, so they're like we're not rocking the boat. We're going into Bama week. Let's see how it goes. Like I don't think he's gonna play well in Tuscaloosa. I think it's gonna be a rock fight. We'll get into it later this week. But anyone who's taking the points over for Bama Tennessee, I think is sadly mistaken i think it's going to be a really ugly low scoring game where both nick saban and josh heupel don't trust their quarterbacks like i don't think either yeah. is like jumping for joy at Jalen milrow and joe melton being their quarterbacks this year so i think you're going to see a lot of ground and pound a lot of keep away like i just don't think um they're in a good spot but i also think it's going to take losses for nico to make an appearance like i think it's going to have to, this season like you're gonna to have to lose at kentucky you're gonna to have to lose at floor or at bama and maybe even lose at Mizzou for them to like really entertain it. Cause like once you go that route, like it's over, like Joe's, you lost Joe at that point. You, you also have to worry about the locker room. So I think a lot of fans understand there are a lot of dynamics at play. And there's a lot of fans that went into this year, just wanting to get to nine and three. And Joe can still get them to nine and three because of how good this running game is and how good this defense is. So if he can get them there, and that's where we're at, then great. And you save Nico for the full year and uh, you don't have to throw him to the wolves here. That's what you want. I think that's what most Tennessee fans want. It's just not fun to watch week over week. Um, the quarterback get progressively worse. Um, and just, I mean, it's just weird. Cause like you think about Jared Garantano, you think about uh, JT Stroud, you think about <laughs> some really bad uh, Tennessee quarterbacks that passed, but they were losing games. So it was easy. Like when you were chanting for Harrison Bailey and stuff like that, now you're winning and you're winning in spite of the quarterback. And that still is just like, he's a locker room leader and you just can't do it. You can't fracture the locker room. And I think most fans are fine. Like they understand um, that there are bigger issues at play um, by making a switch to Nico. And everyone always wants the, the backup quarterback, but yeah. when that backup quarterback's the number one high school quarterback in the country, mm -hmm. it's a, it's a whole nother level, but obviously yeah. we kind of, whatever shitted on Jimbo and, and Max Johnson, everything. But at the end of the day, A&M at Tennessee, this is, 
preseason win loss total, like preseason win predictions. Like this was probably one of the games that a lot of people were predicting a loss for Tennessee. So mm-hmm. this is a, it might be a flawed AM team, might be whatever they're underachieving, but at the end of the day, this is a big time win for Hypo and uh, for Tennessee. Tennessee might have George on the, in November uh, as a two year anniversary of the last home loss for Tennessee. Tennessee hasn't lost at home since Georgia in 2021. We have a two-year wow. anniversary. And I believe, for that. I believe, if Georgia is undefeated um, going into that Tennessee game, that is like, I think that could be like the game that would set the record for like the longest SEC win streak or something like oh. that. Oh, like uh, I think Alabama's like longest streak was like twenty-eight games or something like that. I'm not, I'm not sure the exact number, but Joe Milton was, has the has the opportunity to do the funniest thing ever, Matt Green, game of his life against the dogs. That's oh a dangerous my goodness, spot for sure. Hey, with no Brock Bowers, who knows? Sky could be just falling. Oh, he's already making excuses. So. The guy who hasn't this lost is... the game in three years is already making excuses. Oh, man. Brock Bowers, he's our he's our leader, man. Oh, my goodness. I don't know it's what to end. believe in if we don't have Brock Bowers. It's a tight end. Get out of here with this uh, mess. Hey, how dare you, sir? Tight ends don't matter. Um, Washington, you have here Washington win or Oregon loss. What do you What do you mean by that? And what was the best overall college football game on Saturday, Matt Green? I would um, definitely not take any credit away from Washington, even though I was hating on Washington going in. They are now, like, now is when they deserve the hype of getting first place votes and getting into the top five. Like, they've beaten a big time team. Um, So, you know, credit to Washington. But I just, when I watched this game, I felt like Oregon was the better team. Like, Mm. I'm watching it. It felt like they're moving the ball better. Like, I don't know how you get how you lose a game that you out outrush your opponent on the road like 200 yard was like 200 to 95 or something like that like mm-hmm. they just seem like they did what they wanted to do and I know Dan Lanning's aggressive and everything and you know it's going to take points to, like hindsight you know is how how well your defense played that Washington didn't score 50 you're probably thinking you got to score touchdowns in the red zone to beat Washington but they're 0 for 3 on fourth down in this game. Like, I just, I think this game could be a, a little bit different, especially the one right before the half. Um, like, the fact that Washington's got the ball and with a two minute drive to, to close out the half. And what's the score at that point? 22 to 18, I think. And you get the interception, and it's basically stealing points before the half. Like, just steal the three points and go into the half down one. And then they get stopped on fourth down there. I just feel like there's, there was multiple questionable fourth down decisions by Dan Lanning in this one. Like, and obviously they missed the field goal at the end to, to tie it. But I, uh, I just, I came away thinking Oregon is still the better team. Like obviously mm. they're on the road and uh, that, that, you know, that's probably the equalizer or if not, not equalizer, but the, what gives the nod to Washington on a neutral site, Oregon is probably favored if, if these teams rematch in Las Vegas. But I, um, you know, I don't want to take anything away from Washington, but I just felt like Dan Lanning kind of mismanaged this game at times. Is it becoming a theme? Are you worried about Dan Lanning as a head coach going forward? I don't, I don't know about that. Um, it's, there's so many guys that have this just kind of a, it's a, it feels like a generational thing. So many of these younger coaches are just like fourth down, go for it every time. Mm. Like, so I don't know if that's who you are, you're, you want to be aggressive. Um, that's one thing, but I don't know. There's just, there's a time that you got to take the points. He is still what he's 37 years old. I think second year ever as a head coach, I'm not going to worry about him. Like he's going to, he's learning on the job. Right. And Oregon is one of the best teams in college football right now. So I think he's doing a pretty good job, but in this one, yeah, I'm obviously I'm questioning some of the decisions he made. Yeah, I also just like it obviously ended up really poorly for uh, Oregon, but they still drove right back down the field like it was nothing like they were in a position to tie the game and uh, send it to overtime. Um, But it was so they were stopped on fourth and three at Washington 47 with two minutes to go. And then Penix just falls it up with a great play. Uh, It was like a 35 yarder to Polk. Um, I think it looks like two guys in between that one. And Dunsey had the great back shoulder uh, touchdown catch to give uh, Washington the ultimate lead. I think it's interesting your point about like it felt like Oregon was better on Saturday because I think Michael Penix was better than Bo Nix in this game. I thought Washington's receivers were clearly better. I mean, Franklin's good, but I don't think they have the same depth at Oregon that Washington does. I think Oregon's defensive line looked good uh, in this one. I think they're building 
uh, in a really good way. And it looks like the five-star decommit from Arizona and Elijah Rushing is the next five-star uh, added to that line because DJU's brother is there. Like They're accumulating uh, big-time players on that defensive line for Dan Lanning. He's recruiting well. But I think it reminded me so much of Texas, Oklahoma. I don't know if you felt the same. Where like, is a big win for Oklahoma. They needed that for their program. Mm-hmm. But I came out of it like, Texas, I just still feel like is the better team. And if you had a rematch in the in the Big 12 title game, I would pick Texas because I think if you play that game with Oregon and Washington 100 times, I think Oregon wins 80. And I think if you play Texas, Oklahoma 100 times with that Saturday, I think Texas wins 90 plus. So I just, I think that's, that's what it felt a like really, to me. I think it's a really good call. It, it did feel like Oklahoma needed that game more mm-hmm. than, than Texas did. And, and we could potentially see a rematch of both of these in the conference championship. But yeah. Like Oregon outgained Washington 541 to 415, 204 to 99 on the ground. Like, if you're running the ball that well on the ground, like, I, I expect a team to win that game, you know? So, Michael Penix Jr., this offense was as good as advertised. Like, they, they, they are like that elite unit. But uh, I think Oregon also looked really good and maybe just as good. Not, they, they don't have like the same. I don't know. It's not, it's not the same flash. Like it doesn't look as good as Washington just because these receivers are just making big time plays. But um, at, at the end of the day, like the, I, I, I expect us to see this team I, or to, to, to see this rematch. Be, I mean, the Pac-12 is is loaded this year, but these right now feel like the two best teams. Yeah, uh, I would agree. Matt Green. Um, UF stuns. South Carolina late Matt Green. So I ask you, two and five Gamecocks. Is Shane Beamer now on the hot seat? Are they two and five? I'm not sure I realized that. Um is he he feels like a similar Sam Pittman situation. Like who's on the hot seat more? Pittman or Shane Beamer? That's an I interesting feel like question. Just both that is, because they're both two and five right now. Mm-hmm. It feels like they just both schools like their coaches a lot. And, mm. you know, it's like, I don't know if they're actually on the hot seat because, I mean, we talked about South Carolina. Like, what was the expectation for South Carolina coming in? Like, I mean, this, well, I think this fans team... were really feeling good because you beat Clemson and Tennessee to end last year. It felt like you broke through. I think they were thinking as Dark Horse SEC East challenger this year. The fans may have been thinking that. No one else is thinking that. But yeah. um, I just you you look at this team. Are right, are they two and four right now? Is it just two and four, not two and five? Are they two and four? I'm at it right now. Yeah, it's just. Oh, two they and did four. have a buy. That's right, because they had a buy this past week and they came out and lost. Yeah, two and four. My bad. So, I mean, you look at this schedule at Missouri at A and M, and then you know four straight home games to end the season. Kentucky and Clemson are two of those. It's going to be tough to make a bowl game, but I feel like. Shane Beamer kind of just he, he kind of earned some earned some credit, right? With you know the seven and six in twenty twenty one, the eight and five in twenty twenty two. Like he feels like he's built enough like trust in the fan base that like one bad season he's not on the hot seat or anything like that. Like I think you know if this team they could finish six and six, I don't think that's out of the the realm of possibility. Like you look at Clemson and South Carolina right now at South Carolina, like. There's no, there's no reason that's not a winnable game. Like honestly, you look at Kentucky right now, like coming to at South Carolina. There's no reason that's not a winnable game for, for the Gamecocks. So I think this team looks solid. It's just you know they're they're, they're coming on on the losing side of some of these games, but it, it feels like they're it doesn't feel like they're a bad team, especially how they how you finish a season like this also says everything. Like. Like, like Dan Mullen essentially had one bad year at Florida, but it was like the whole team quit on him. And it's like, they're just, there was kind of an embarrassing thing. Like if this team battles and, you know, wins some games, they still got uh, Jacksonville state and Vanderbilt on the schedule. Like that's, they can get to four wins, maybe five, maybe six, but um, I don't know. I, I, um, and I, I think the same for Sam Pittman. I think Arkansas has actually looked pretty good in some of these games like they lost it by three to alabama lost they're a bunch of one LSU. score losses yeah and it's i like think it, all their losses have actually come by one score is that right the byu one is the one that's like ah, that, mm. that's bad you know but they've lost five straight now but it they're they're right there in all of them so 
I don't know. Maybe we give. I'm giving Sam Pittman a pass because I like him, but I don't know. It just it doesn't it doesn't feel like there's any real hot seat talk within the within the building. If 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 I'm them too, I think there's hot seat talk with more with Pittman because I think South Carolina. Maybe my expectations are lower. I also am just <laughs> like we've seen the best versions of it. Like obviously they got killed with. I mean. Spencer Rattler has played really well to this point. You made a uh, Marcus Satterfield was not a great uh, offensive coordinator hire, and you wrote that wrong. And the offense was driving; like the offense was putting up points and putting up yards on Florida this week. They should have beat Florida. Um, you beat Tennessee last year. We'll see what it looks like when you get them back uh, in Columbia next year. Uh, you played Georgia really close, um, especially for at least a half here um, on the road in Athens. Tough place to play there, obviously. So. I don't know. We'll see what they look like at Mizzou, but I think the defensive coordinator, Clayton White, that's where I think it, from what I've gathered, it seems like they've turned more on their TC and want to change there because they've been getting torched um, the last few weeks and blowing that two score lead late at home. is just a rough, rough look. And what a ball though, by Ricky Pearsall um, in this one. And I mean, that's a, to transition the other way. I mean, are you a bigger believer in Florida now? Matt Green, are you more concerned that they get a bye going into the Georgia game in two weeks that they can get right and it's a huge win uh, for them? They still technically control their own destiny. You beat Georgia, you're sitting there, you're probably going to Atlanta um, if you're Florida based on how the season's gone because you already beat Tennessee, you beat South Carolina, you lost to Kentucky, but they won't be in it. I mean, Florida's got um, uh, a really good situation right now. And I mean, Graham Mertz was credit where credit's due he was balling 423 yards three tds um that 21 yard uh td to pearsall uh late but man pearsall had 10 catches for 166 yards like uh, i think you have to be impressed with florida uh rising from the the dead there and still it feels like they have had a worse season than they had but look only one conference loss and a big come from behind i wonder what they do with this kind of come from behind win at south carolina it's just funny how sports work, how we mm-hmm. speak in such like definites, because it's like this team had, you know, if, if they don't convert that fourth and 10 with that, that great catch by Pearsall, like, mm-hmm. I mean, and great throw by Mertz, it's like, are, we're having a completely different conversation. There's no Shane Beamer hot seat talk. South Carolina, you know, escapes by, by four or five points or something like, but, but now after Florida puts together that final drive and man, that bounce, like. I feel like that's a pick every time. The a little, little quick slant and the uh, the receipt goes right through receiver's hands. That seems to always find the de- defensive backs' hands. But you know, when you're uh, when you're living right, you know those those things bounce your way. So it was definitely a big time win for Florida. I think, uh, yeah, like you're saying, they're technically in in control of their own destiny. Like in the SEC East, just like Missouri is. I think Tennessee's definitely in the thick of the race, even though they're not. They're not technically in control of their own destiny, but I kind of think Tennessee is in control of their own destiny because I don't, I I just don't think uh, Florida's going to run the table the rest of the way, and that's that's really the only thing that's holding Tennessee back. But I just I don't think this schedule looks like they're talking about winning the East. Like I feel like their sights need to be set a little lower than that. Like that I'm not saying that this team is not is going to miss a bowl game, but like. These are six losable games that they have left on their schedule. Like they're they're five and two, or am I looking at five losable games? They got five games left. Mm. Those are five losable games they have. They all they're probably five winnable ones. I would say probably more like three winnable ones. Honestly, like I think this team, if they go three and two the rest of the way and end up eight and four, like they should be celebrating that season and be excited for twenty twenty four. But like you look at Georgia, Arkansas, at LSU, at Missouri, Florida State, like which of those do you know Florida's going to win? Oof. Uh, well, I would say Arkansas is the easy one. Arkansas, so, I would say they're going to win that game. And I don't know that either because Arkansas is playing everyone close. But who's the second one that you say you know Florida's going to win? Mizzou. And I'm at Missouri. I'm I'm not giving them that at all. Like I just I think this team, you know, they should be very encouraged where they're at right now. But this team's not really competing. Like they, it's nice that yeah, this this game with versus Georgia, the cocktail party in a couple weeks, it, it means something, you know. But like, there's years under Mark Richt where 
yeah, technically, if Georgia comes into the cocktail party and wins this game, they'll, they'll be in first in the East, and, and they would get blown out because they weren't actually on the same level as Florida. I think you. I think they're they're just Florida's a good story right now, but this team, they're not. I would be shocked. I'm not going to get ahead of myself for the cocktail party in a couple of weeks, but I just I would be shocked if this team goes goes anything better than than three and two down the stretch. Okay. I also am just glad because it makes the cocktail party more interesting in two weeks. Florida winning this game. Oh, for sure. It's going to be for like first place in the East and all yeah. that. Like it's it, we got some some cool. Uh, it's interesting, like, I don't think Georgia's ever been in this position uh, going into the cocktail party of just so many East SEC East games are still on the slate. Like, mm. it's usually like if, if that Florida game's kind of the, the finale in the East, and then maybe you play Kentucky after and, and then Auburn or something. Obviously, it used to be late in the season. But, like, if Georgia gets past the Georgia-Florida game could be for first in the East, and then the Georgia-Missouri game could be for first in the East, and then the Georgia-Tennessee game could be for first in the True. East in, in consecutive weeks. So it's it, it could be interesting to see how it uh how it plays out. Speaking of Missouri, they were in an eighteen to nothing. Uh, they needed an eighteen nothing run in the fourth quarter to beat Kentucky on the road. I think this is a sneaky another sneaky road warrior win um, for Mizzou, who are having a fantastic year. The offense is. I should have just stuck with Mizzou. My heart, I was like, I, Mizzou's a better football team, and that was so dumb. I got talked out, spooked by the road game at Kentucky. But my heart of hearts, I knew they were better than Kentucky. And they're a good team. I think Mizzou, to be completely honest, I am very, very curious. The most curious game to me on the Tennessee calendar left is at Mizzou in a couple of weeks because <laughs> I think that's actually the battle for the two best teams in the uh, the second for second place in the East is Mizzou versus Tennessee. I think that's the, I'm not a big believer in Florida. And I think if you play Florida, Tennessee a hundred times on neutral sites. I think Tennessee wins the majority of those games. I think Tennessee's a better team. They just had a horrible, horrible night in the swamp. Um, that being said, tough to play I, on the road. It's tough to play on the road. Uh, I'm very curious to see what that game looks like in a couple of weeks, but I mean, I think that's a sneaky, huge game for, uh, Mizzou. Um, Kentucky now reeling two straight losses. Um, Tigers defense. We talked about Brady Cook and Luther Burden in that offense uh, for weeks now and how legit they are. Six tackles for a loss in this one, four sacks, two forced fumbles, and two big interceptions late for that Missouri defense. So the Missouri defense coming along. I just think Missouri's a really good team, and I think they're a bona fide top 25 uh, team in the sport, and they proved a lot of doubters wrong, and they could have folded on the road. Uh, in Kentucky where the home teams really dominated this series. So what did you make of Mizzou coming from behind and stealing one late from the Cats who have real problems uh, now? Yeah, because I kind of felt like um, there was a little overreaction to uh, to just getting dominated by Georgia the way they did. You know, they went into Sanford Stadium a night game, but they could still be, you know, potentially the the second the second or third best team in the East. But uh, I, So I was expecting Kentucky to kind of you know, get, get back on track, but man, Devin Leary, this guy just mm. two fourth quarter interceptions. Like the fact that Missouri was able to win, like we've, we've seen how good Luther burden is a game where Luther burden was basically, you know, held in check. Like did pretty, pretty much nothing for this offense. Like the fact that Missouri didn't need that guy to, to put up 38 at Kentucky, like, um, 18, zero in the fourth quarter, like, this is a this is a huge win for Missouri because I think this is what we were talking about like uh, as far as the crossroads Saturday was concerned like Missouri and Kentucky were still they're still trying to find their floor like they they want to know their ceiling too Missouri's trying to win the East but they're still trying to establish like how how low this season could be and um, I think Kentucky this is a team that's looking like it's possible that they're the fourth fifth best team in the East this year after thinking they might could be up there in the top two top three. What, are you, what is your East power rankings now? If you had to do it based on what we've seen to this point on October 16th, Matt Green, what would be your one through uh, seven? Right now, I would definitely say Georgia's one, Tennessee two, Missouri three. I still got to put Kentucky four, Florida five, South Carolina six, and Vanderbilt seven. Because I just can't. Mm. I know it was at home at Kentucky, but like. I just can't ignore they had like 350 yards rushing on on Florida or whatever. Like that that just happened a couple weeks ago. Okay, that's fair. Uh, Matt Green, I'm ready to put my money where my mouth is here. Okay, UNC, you're curious about UNC if they're a legit CFP contender. 
I think they are. But what I am putting just my mouth on this very program too on October 16th. Your buddy? I don't know. <laughs> North Carolina is beating Florida State. I don't know if it's in the, it's going to be in the ACC title game, but everyone who mm. thinks Florida State is the best team in this conference, and I just keep seeing them pop in top four, top four. North Carolina has got the most upside of anyone in this conference. They're still undefeated too. I cannot wait for this collision course. I hope they both are able to maintain being undefeated or at least one loss going into that title game because Trez Walker's back. Drake May is a much better quarterback than Jordan Travis. Um, he was throwing dimes in the second half uh, Saturday night for North Carolina against Miami. Good quarterback battle between him and Tyler Van Dyke. But I do think North Carolina is a college football playoff contender. And I also just think that they are going to beat Florida State. I think that is something I've been feeling for weeks now. I'm putting it on the podcast. Uh, North Carolina is going to beat Florida State in the ACC title game. Wow, that's bold, sir. You know, nobody would be happier than me. You know, I'm leading the Drake May fan club over here. Um, and he started to play better the last few weeks. But uh, Omari and Hampton, almost mm. 200 yards in this one, too. But I'm just glad we're getting to see Tez Walker. You know, he doesn't, this whole year isn't going to be wasted for him. Like, that's the mm. best receiver. He, he appears to be the best receiver on North Carolina's roster. And this team is like, luckily, they, you know, they escaped some, some close games early. Um, you know, not at full strength, but with, with this guy, I think they're uh, they're they're taking to another level. So yeah. I'm I, I think I'm with you. I think Florida State, as good as they've looked, you know they've they've looked uh, you know they've looked beatable at times. And I think that at Clemson is probably the biggest game you circle on North on North Carolina's uh, final five six games. How many they got left? Six games. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, there's. At at Clemson and at NC State, like I think I think there's a there's this team could legitimately go undefeated in the regular season. They lead the ACC in 50 plus yard plays. You go through it and it's just like they are ahead of Florida State in every offensive category in the conference. Like I don't know what Florida State actually does better. And now that Trez Walker's back, like Keon Coleman's huge for Florida State. He's been unbelievable as a late portal addition for them. But like I just I think they're a more complete team. I'm just a bigger believer in the offensive firepower of what North Carolina is doing. And um, it's kind of surprising that Drake Mayne isn't getting more Heisman love. I mean, they're undefeated. Like they control their own playoff destiny and everything else. There's a lot of talk about just every, it's seemingly every other quarterback in the country right now, top of the line quarterback, but I don't know why Drake May's not getting more. stats early on weren't great. I think he, um, cause the last couple weeks, well, he's thrown seven touchdowns and, and no picks the yeah. last two games. Now he's at 12 touchdowns and four picks. After the first four games, it wasn't looking too hot. But, um, yeah, I think I expect it. I think he's one of the best quarterbacks in college football. But I think there's an interesting scenario that um, actually is a pro-college football expansion argument here. Mm. But um, that, that we're rare to do. If we get one, if we get five one-loss conference champions, or mm. shoot, I mean five undefeated conference champions, like who's getting left out? Like, I mean, I would year, lean. We haven't had this scenario. So it'd be Georgia one. I'll say Michigan two. I'm th- doing the guarantees right now. Um, Michigan two. I'll say Clemson or Florida State three. I'll say North Carolina Oklahoma four and then that's it. Yeah. I think that's it. I, I think, think the Pac-12 team talk, gets left out. I don't think we can talk about the Pac-12 being like the best conference all season long. And then a who would you put them in? Who do you think champion? they're better than? Who do you think? Would you take Washington over Oklahoma right now? Would you take Washington over a full season well, undefeated? I guess Florida what's State? the scenario here? If it's, if it's a one law or if they're like all undefeated, Un- all like undefeated is what I'm saying. They're all they're undefeated. Pac-12 is getting left out. Florida State beats North Carolina. Is that yeah. the scenario? Undefeated mm-hmm. Florida State beats undefeated North Carolina. Yeah. In order for Big 12 to be undefeated, it's got to be Oklahoma. Yes. I think Oklahoma's got by far the worst resume, if that's the case. I mean, honestly, Georgia will have the worst resume, if that's the case. But True. I don't think the preseason number one team. No, they're not getting left. The SEC and Big Ten are not getting left out. They are an automatic in. But they're I think automatic. you can't talk about the Pac-12 being the best conference all year. And Washington will now, like, who's going to be on their resume, like, if mm. they run the table? Like, it's USC. It's Utah. 
Um, obviously Oregon and then like a second win over Oregon potentially. Like they're just think- not doing it. I let me just go ahead and say this. Um, Washington's not running the gauntlet. I don't know what we're doing. Like Washington's not running the they're not finishing 13 and 0. Like that's not and then going to the playoff. That's not happening. It's not going to be the case. Like Washington is going to lose. That is not And I think that's happening. true. And I think ultimately Oregon can still win the the Pac-12. Yes. But but one loss Oregon versus, you know, maybe one loss Texas or maybe one loss Florida State or one loss Penn State. Like I think there's I think there's a conversation to be had about like, I don't know who gets in. I think Texas might even get left out. Like, I don't know. They got that Alabama win and they obviously would have to beat the team that beat them most likely. But I think it's a, if it's someone like North Carolina, it feels like the brand North Carolina could get left out. You know what I mean? But like Mm. Florida state, I don't think Florida state gets left out as a one loss. I think maybe the ACC champion. I think if any of the, if any of these teams have one loss, the ACC champion probably has the worst resume of, of the of the five. I mean, other than Georgia, like if Georgia's a one loss, I assume Georgia was a one loss SEC champion. Maybe they lose one game at Tennessee, but Tennessee's got two losses or something, and they get in. I assume Georgia still gets in, but they would probably have the worst resume of all those conference champions. That's fair. I don't think we're going to get to that point. There's going to be some losses. There's a lot of big games down the stretch here um, sure. that I don't think people understand. Is that like there are so many? Like we're starting here, Ohio State and Penn State playing on Saturday. Um, a lot yeah. of this stuff's going to play out on the field. And I'm over and I'm week. not sure the Pac-12 can a guy a, a team can get out of there with less than than two losses. We've seen it before. They love cannibalizing themselves in this conference. Um, and that's uh, probably how it goes out with the Pac-12. But Matt Green, final one here uh, in our recap show, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish throttle USC at home. This game was never in doubt for Notre Dame. They were twenty up 24-6 to six at the half. It's five straight losses for USC at Notre Dame now. Um, Caleb Williams was sacked four times. Fighting Irish finished with uh, – and. Uh, he had 199 yards passing and a TD. There was a really weird selfie kid who ran up and ran up on Caleb Williams celebrating after, which was strange and talking about him and painting his nails and stuff. And you're like, gosh, there's going to be something terrible that happens. I feel like with all these field rushings and the, in with so many kids wanting to be selfie famous and like, you know what I mean? Like the TikTok stuff and everything else, they're going to keep ramping it up and, I don't know, man. Hey, Lionel Messi, he may be to blame also. Lionel Messi, these people run out on the field and he's like friendly and like signs the jersey. It's like, no, you're supposed to get these people off the field. You're not supposed to encourage this behavior. No, because I just, you can't trust all these kids and you can't trust, like, I don't know. I'm kind of concerned about that growing, going forward. You saw Jermaine Burton last year. He was worried for his safety, you know? No, that's a little bit different. I'm not (laughs) going to go. I don't think that was what happened there. Um, But Matt Green, Notre Dame, big cut time win. I mean, Louisville goes, it was a great weekend for Notre Dame fans. Louisville goes down at home. Uh, um, uh, the same night that uh, or on the road at Pitt because Pitt does this. It's, it's always what Pitt's gonna do, and we were wondering who Pitt was gonna do it to. They did it to an undefeated Louisville. So shout out to Pitt doing what they do each and every year, ruining somebody's perfect season uh, in the ACC. Shout out to the Pitt Panthers and Pat Narduzzi. But um, huge win for Notre Dame. Uh, and USC is who we thought they were, which were fraud. They're nine and three type team. The defense finally came. Uh, back to bite them, and USC is, I would say, out of the playoff picture. You could say that they'll run the gauntlet, but win loss, I just, I don't see it, and I just think it's a sad ending to uh, Caleb Williams' uh, tenure at uh, at USC because it's just there. This is a bad loss, and they were really not ever in this one, Matt Green. Yeah, they were pretty much dominated from the start. I felt like I, I'm, I'm still on the kind of questioning Marcus Freeman. Um, I'm not like 100% sold, you know, that he's the guy. I feel like this was a big time win for him. Like this USC mm. team is flawed, but like you needed to get back. You need to get that big time win and a big time rivalry. So I thought this was a huge win. I um, I just want to know, Caleb Williams is a great player, right? I want to know what this word generational means, mm. right? Like I see this thrown around with Caleb Williams. Like this guy's generational. And I'm just like, how many gener? What is generational in sports? In football language, how many how many years is a generation? Is it like three years? Like I'm like I'm just I'm confused because I I watch Caleb Williams play. He's a great player. Do you watch him play and think like 
that guy's way better than Trevor Lawrence ever looked. He's way better than Tua looked. He's way better than Justin Fields or Andrew Luck. You know, all these Joe Burrow, these guys that have been called generational, like Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield, basically every quarterback Lincoln Riley's had has been like seemingly generational. Deshaun Watson, I think, was generational, right? Like I'm just, I'm trying to wrap my head around how many generational quarterbacks you can have in a in a five to ten year period. I think it's more he's generational toolsy, right? Where he makes plays out of nothing. He plays like Patrick Mahomes does in the NFL. And it's just I think that's the generational part. It's like Patrick Mahomes didn't look like this in college. Like he looks like Mahomes in the NFL. And like obviously not as good as Patrick Mahomes, but like he's ahead of where Mahomes was at Texas Tech. So I think it's just that same kind of talent that has dominated the nfl for the last five plus years is happening at the college level so i think it's just more of the toolsy stuff from caleb williams like the best versions and the stuff that he can do his arm talent the way he gets slinging around in different ways i think that's the generational part is we haven't seen someone do the patrick mahomes nfl stuff at the college level like caleb williams can no, and I definitely see the, the some of the Patrick Mahomes comps. And, and part of me is just kind of being tongue-in-cheek. You know, he's he's definitely a really good player. I just – I kind of laugh at the generational term that gets thrown out. It is out. thrown around way so, too much. Yeah, and, and he's definitely like an, 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 a, a ridiculous prospect because he, he kind of does have that Brett Favre, Mahomes to him that just kind of runs around and just throws it however. But Mahomes is the first one that plays that way and doesn't seem to turn the ball over all the time. Like Brett Favre did a lot of great things. And threw a lot of picks too. So I he knows know. a generational prospect, Arch Manning, because it seems like every generation works out in the Manning household. Like it's just Arch, <laughs> Archie to Peyton to to Arch. It's just like, yeah, no, he's another generational prospect. You're not wrong. He's probably going to be generational uh, because the previous two generations have worked out pretty well. Uh, the I mean, you'd spot. be you'd be a fool not to bet on him being the number one overall pick in the draft, right? Yeah. Numbers are in his favor. <laughs> that is true. Um, oh man, how many times are they going to talk about Nico being a generational player at Tennessee? I, I mean, I'm I should need to prepare myself to just how much that's going to pop up. And it's like uh, the Peyton Man- Manning comparisons on broadcast next year are going to be high, most highly touted prospects since Peyton Manning. Um, well, there you go, Matt Green. Colorado blew a twenty-nine nothing lead late on Friday night. Um, we mentioned Colorado or uh, Louisville going down um at Pitt uh Auburn gets uh obliterated on the road at LSU um with all that being said what uh how do we do in the pick'em I think they still haven't won in Death Valley since the 90s if I'm not mistaken or it it might be like 2001 or so like that that was my Um, lock of the week Matt Green that was your lock of the week that well well done sir um you had you had another excellent week sir um love to see you you're really, uh, really starting to pull away in this one. I need to, I need to really get things, get my act together. So, the overall, college football knower on this program, right here. Overall, this guy. Uh, on the week you went seven and four. Uh, I went five and six. So you, you you built two more games up on your lead there, and then against the spread you were six four and one uh, to my five five and one. So you, you built another game against mm. the spread as well. So. You are 55 and 22 on the season, 71.4%. Uh, against the spread, you are 46, 28, and 3, 59.7% against the spread. So, you know, that's that's winning the people money right there. Um, me, on the other hand, 49 and 28, 63.6%, trailing you by six games overall, and then uh 41, 33, and 3, just just 53.2% against the spread. So uh you know, five, five games behind you. So we're both over 50% against the spreads. That's the most important thing. But uh, but yeah, and then Zeus, Oklahoma State, home dog of the week. Uh, they got the job done uh, for the second straight week versus the uh, the, the Sunflower State, I want to say, is the state of Kansas. I, I could be making you. that up. Um, I believe that's the Sunflower State. We'll, we'll look that up. Okay, we won't. I don't really get much, but you know, <laughs> I believe you uh well there you go week eight coming up here matt green uh as a programming note we will be doing uh our preview show but we will not be doing the recap for uh sunday night because i will be in new york for the weekend after getting a move so it would have been this weekend that we're not that we weren't going to do this show but we are back so um after with after thursday uh, we'll be off until monday night so 
Um, we'll be back then, but uh, be fun to get away and uh, watch uh, Tennessee, Alabama, at us, uh, the number one uh, Tennessee sports bar in Manhattan. So I'm excited to see what that looks like with a bunch of UT alumni uh, in the city with uh, uh, some Tennessee, Alabama action on uh, on Saturday. So we have a lot to preview uh, this weekend on the show. So uh, look out for that on uh, Thursday morning. But for that guy down there, Matt Green, for myself, Chase Thomas, up here in Knoxville, Tennessee, that is all we got. And we will talk to you all in a couple days. Yes, sir. This is Ben Ingram, radio voice of the Atlanta Braves. And I'm here to tell you that you've reached the end of today's episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. As a friend of the podcast, I'd like to say thank you for listening to today's episode and hope you return for the next one. To show your support for the program, tell a friend or coworker or even a family member about the program. And if you're an Apple Podcast listener, leave the show a rating and a review. It goes a long way. That'll do it for me. But don't forget to listen to myself and the rest of the team at 680 The Fan and the Braves Radio Network this season. Go Braves! Chase, I think I'm going to hear more about you. I really do. I think you've got a way about you, but you're interviewing. Mm-hmm. You're, um, pleasantness you're smart so i think i'm going to hear big things about you nicely done nephew chase thomas podcast hell yeah